And so I got to meet some of our customers that had had light for the first time. And it was truly was one of the most remarkable days of my life. I remember going into a home and meeting with father. And in the middle of talking to him, he came and hugged me. He was crying because he said, I don't have to worry about my children breathing in kerosene fumes anymore. And that sentiment was, I felt it from, from so many customers. There was other ones talking about how their kids could now do their reading at night and, and how much easier their lives were. And I remember after this long day going back to the hotel and calling my wife in Canada eight hours behind us, and I was crying. And I said, I can't believe that this is what I get to do for a living. Welcome to Mindful Businesses, presented by Sarani, and I'm your host, Vidya Iyer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands which are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today, we have with us Brett Bergman, Chief Operating Officer of Solar Panda, transforming lives with low-cost home solar. He joins us from Toronto, Canada. Welcome, Brett. Thanks very much. It's great to be here with you. We in North America, we take it for granted that when we flip on the light switch, we'll have light. What percent of the continent of Africa is still to be electrified? It's almost, it's about half. I mean, in Africa, there's about 600 million people that don't have access to the electrical grid. So it's crazy that uh, all the things that we take for granted, turning on the lights, being able to do Zoom calls like we're doing, everything that we take as just a given every day for them is a possibility for almost half of Africa at the moment. Africa is a big continent, right? So specifically the areas that you serve, what percent is electrified. So we operate currently, we're just in Kenya, and it's one of the most developed countries in terms of electrical. So it's come a long way in the last several years. Populations say around 50 million, and it's probably closer to 75% of that country does have electricity, which still leaves a quarter of the country without access to electricity. And even those that do have it, it's not always reliable. The electrical grid in many areas is not reliable. So I think that number is probably a little bit optimistic, but it still leaves many, many millions without access to electricity. And no, likely the electrical grid will never reach those people, especially in the rural areas anytime soon. If we compare it to North America, 99% of us have stable supply of electricity. Yeah, it's uh, Kenya is, again, is one of the most developed. It's um, If you look at the numbers across a lot of other African countries, it's much, much worse. You'd have 10 to 25% of the people that do have access to an electrical solution. One of those could be the electrical grid, but uh, off-grid solar is, is quickly becoming a viable solution for that problem. It's hard to generalize a whole continent like Africa, but why is there so much disparity? I think you're right. I mean, it's it's hard to paint all of Africa with one brush. So every country is going to have its own challenges. A lot of it is just the the lack of financial resources to to put in a grid. I saw last study I saw said that to electrify the rest of Kenya would cost fifty billion dollars, and the government just doesn't have the resources to do that, nor the inclination. You've got a large population. A lot of it's rural. So if you look across North America, it took us decades to put down the infrastructure to be able to reach all the far-reaching areas. And in Africa, they don't have the resources to do that. They're behind on it. It also doesn't make sense now to go back to the historical way of laying cables and lines across the world. Africa's jumping ahead of 
North America and Europe and a lot of other areas in technology. So the traditional way that we got electrified is not going to be the way that that happens in, in Africa and other continents. What about the international institutions like the World Bank and the International Agency or the International Energy Agency? Do they have any incentive to fund energy? Forget about electrification, but they need regular supply of some sort of energy to live. Yeah, the United Nations has said um, access to energy is one of their top seven goals for developing countries. So it's access to electricity and reliable electricity. I mean, it goes so much farther than being able to just turn on lights. It's about safety. It's about displacing kerosene lanterns that are extremely harmful, dangerous. It's the equivalent of smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. Light allows children to study at night and improve their education. So it, it reaches so many areas. And yes, the uh, World Health Organization, United Nations, everybody has said that this is one of the priorities. And there is a lot of money that has, over the last, say, decade, flowed into this industry. But most of it is going to trying to find renewable opportunities. So solar, clearly in Africa, when there is so much access to the sun, makes it no-brainer that that is better investment and a more sustainable, responsible investment than it would be put the money toward governments to, to try to do historical landlines. Hydroelectric plants or... Exactly. So you're based in Canada. So what is your connection to Africa? It all came from our founder. So our founder, Andy Keith, when he graduated university, was just at the time when uh, Ontario, Canada was getting into solar. And he saw that that was going to be a big opportunity. And so he started a couple companies in the solar industry in Canada, developed those, sold those, did quite well. And then a few years later, he was in a conference in California and came across a company called MCOPA. And they were doing off-grid solar. They were really one of the pioneers of this industry, off-grid solar in Africa. And he spoke to them and said really something here. Now, he had done some volunteer work in Africa. And when he was there, really felt that what those countries needed was sustainable development and investment, not kind of periodic volunteer structures. So he saw what MCOPA was doing with his experience felt, hey, this is something I would like to get into. I think we could do it here. And so that was really the origins of Solar Panda. So looking at their model and saying, I think I could do this a little bit better. And that's how it, it started. So then he started building the company and that's where we came from. You're sort of going the reverse direction, right? Many of our guests that have come on Mindful Businesses, they are trying to change people from electric, you know, either hydroelectric plants or coal plant derived electricity to wind, to geothermal, to solar. And they're trying to wean people off the grid. You, to start off, are starting with like, okay, you don't need the grid. Let's set up a thing where you can get your own source of sustainable energy. Our approach is we design, manufacture, and then sell solar home system. And so a home in Kenya could get, say it's our home kit, which is kind of our mid-sized system. You get a 20-watt solar panel that you put onto your roof. It connects to a control unit, and that's the battery pack. And then that plugs into four lights. You can charge a lantern from it, a flashlight, a radio. You could charge your phone from it because despite the fact that very few of these homes have electricity, almost everybody has a cell phone. It's amazing how they've bypassed the traditions we have in, in North America. So you could power all that and 
it is all done by the sun and it's set up as a financed product because to buy one of these units outright would just be unachievable for the vast majority of families there so this is on a pay-as-you-go system so you put down a small deposit and then every day that you want to use lights which is most days you pay a small amount and then that turns on the system for the day and then you keep doing that for depending on the size of the system one to two years and once you've fully paid it off it's yours and you have free electricity from then on yeah we're not trying to get people off the grid very few of our customers have access to the grid these are people who are really displacing kerosene lanterns or having nothing if i had to buy this outright how much would it cost me it'd be a little over $200 for our home kit. We've got three main kits. There's a, We've just this year launched a starter kit, which is to try to make it very affordable. So it's a smaller system with two lights, and that would be, say, a little over $100. Our home kit, which has a little bit more, is about, say, $230. And it goes all the way up to, we offer a TV kit that comes with uh, more lights, bigger battery, bigger panel, and a 32-inch TV. And that would be up to about $700 US. But very few of our sales are up front. That's kind of an interesting model. It's almost like your cell phone plans. You pay as you go, only you pay for the minutes you use. So that's a really interesting model, especially if you can get people on board to start using this, and then they opt for the larger plans going forward. Exactly. We built everything to try to make it upgradable. So we really don't want to just sell to a family and then we're done. The whole benefit of getting electricity is, yeah, it's great to have lights, but it allows you to be more productive. So a lot of our customers use the lights for small businesses. Maybe they're charging other people's phones and charging a small amount. And once they've paid off their system, they are no longer spending money on kerosene. They might have a new source of income. And so then they're going to upgrade to another system. And in the future, we'll offer more things. Could be a fridge, could be a fan, could be fishing lights that, again, help on your business. So we really want to offer products that allow our customers to grow and develop and that we want to grow with them. And the only way that that works, I think, is this finance model where it is obtainable for the average or even for very low-income families to be able to do this and to to start seeing the positive benefits of it and to grow from there. How old is Solar Panda? We had our first sale in December of 2017. And so we're we've just come across our three-year anniversary. It's been a bit of a rocket ship. We were now in about 150,000 homes across Kenya. So we're bringing light to somewhere north of 600,000 Kenyans are, are getting light from Solar Panda. How long does installation take? Is it like a day affair or does it take multiple days? The starter kit and the home kit, the purchase is done and the family can do the installation themselves and it takes maybe half an hour. Someone's got to get up on the roof and install the the solar panel, which in most of these homes, they're very small homes. It's attached by brackets and nails. And then they run the wires in. They attach the control unit onto the wall. Again, usually just nailed onto the wall. And then they're ready to go. With the more advanced system, like the TV premium system, we have a team of field technicians that will do the installation. Again, an installation probably only takes an hour or two, and then they're ready to go. So the day that they make the purchase, that night, their family should be enjoying light. So where are these panels made? Are they in Africa or are you sending it from North America? So all the design work is done in Canada. We've got our small team here and a very good engineering team. Our production is done in China. 
and then it's imported there. So some elements of the kit we are able to source from within Kenya, but as the majority of the product comes from China is Im- and is imported. Besides this, you're actually even creating jobs. One, you're creating an entrepreneur who can now sell his electricity to other people to charge their phones. Maybe he puts a big TV and everybody in the neighborhood comes and you know he charges uh, some money for them to come and watch TV in his house. And also, you are uh, training installers. Solar Panda is creating jobs in these areas too, and different kinds of jobs than farming or herding. Yeah, and actually it goes well beyond just the installers. So I think one of the things I'm most proud of is that within Kenya, we have 200 full-time employees. And that is, we have our head office in Nairobi that has a dedicated almost 24-hour call center. We've got finance team there. We've got a great logistics team that's getting our products out. We have set up 25 solar panda shops throughout rural areas of Kenya. And then at each of those shops, there is three full-time people. So there's a shop administrator, there's a field sales manager, and then assistant field sales manager. And then from each shop, we have a team of commission-based field agents. And we have over 700 field agents, and they are out in the villages, going door to door, selling the product, and that they make a very good commission on each sale that's made. So there's close to a thousand people in Kenya that have very good employment with Solar Panda. And as you said, it's another vehicle or another avenue for them to find employment. We've got quite low turnover because we try to pay generously, amazing culture, and uh, people really believe in what we're trying to do. So yes, we're not only improving the lives of our customers, but also for the Solar Panda team that's there. I wanted to talk a little bit about financing. Yes. So what are the different options for people out there if you didn't offer it? Like, do they have bank accounts or do they have to go to the traditional money lenders who would probably exploit them with really high interest? Yeah, that is an unfortunate thing in, um, in these areas where the most at need are often the ones that are most taken advantage of. What's actually amazing in a lot of uh, countries in Africa, certainly very well established in Kenya, is there's a system called M-Pesa, which is mobile money. So the fact that infrastructure, traditional banks, a lot of these people are in very rural areas, you'd have to go such far distances to get to a traditional bank. So everything we do is through mobile money. So the deposit is paid at the time of the sale, they'll send a payment, and then they'll make a small payment each day. So our home kit, for example, costs the equivalent of about 60 cents a day, and they will make a mobile payment to Solar Panda, and that gets processed instantaneously through our, our system, and that turns on their lights within, say, a minute right after that payment's done. And so it makes it very accessible and it's a it's a low cost system for them so it's it's a remarkable banking system that's years ahead of where we are here i always talk about how in india people had cell phones before they had landlines you know it's so remarkable i mean there's so many areas where we have such a skewed view of africa and a lot of these developing countries but in so many ways they're 
far ahead of us in terms of technology. I mean, solar here is still a fringe option for people, and there it's becoming mainstream and a, and a viable solution. Cell phones, the prevalence there is, is remarkable. Mobile money, it bodes well for the future that there's many ways that they are far ahead of us. So how is Solar Panda funded? Is it a private organization or is it a public? No, we are a private organization. So our founder, Andy, self-funded the company for the first while. So he put in pretty much all the money he had and, and had made from his previous entrepreneurial ventures. That was millions. And then we have some private lenders that have also put into debt financing to the company. So that uh that has kept us going so far. And, and that allows the nature of this business is because we're financing a sale to a customer on every time. So it might be a, as we said, a $200 system, they're only paying $20 on the day of. So we will continue to provide that financing. And to do so, we have some great lending partners that, that allow us to do that. What is the hardest part about entering these markets? You know, you had the partner from Africa. Did you work with them or did you, as a Canadian company, set foot in Kenya and say, here we are. Yeah, we did it largely on our own. I mean, we did our first sale in December 2017. The company kind of really started in 2016, where the work was done on designing the product, building our own ERP system that's really the backbone of the company that all the transactions, everything goes through. And then going over, finding consultants there that could help navigate us. We found some really, it was very grassroots. I mean, so we had our managing director is the only non-Kenyan in Kenya. He's Norwegian born, lived in Canada most of his life and knew Andy from a long time back and said, I'd be interested in going over there. Did an amazing job of going over and navigating it. But one of our first employees was his Uber driver who really impressed him, kind of knew his way around. So hired her and she has been one of the biggest stars of Solar Panda and helped us navigate, okay, here's where we should put up a shop. Here's, I'm going to go help you find people. And so we did it very grassroots of starting off small, opening up one or two shops and being able to do that successfully and then just growing and building a great team and finding good people. We really did it largely on our own and which certainly comes with its own challenges, but it's been extremely rewarding. So did he have any connections to Africa? How did he have the confidence like, I'm going to go and yes, uh, sell your product and why did Andy even trust him? The trust came, he'd known Andy and his family for years. He had no background in Africa. His name's Scott Remborg. No background in Africa, just a remarkable person. I don't know how he did it, honestly. I don't think many people could have. I could not have gone over there and navigated the landscape and built what he did there. And he has an amazing ability to find the right people. I think that's probably his strongest skill is, is building a team. And he found great people that did know what they were doing there, fostered that team. And so, yeah, it's just a bit of magic that he was able to go over there and do all that he did in a short period of time and, and build what we've been able to. So we have a small team, but it's been great. So how important do you think team is? Because you've grown so rapidly in the past three years, right? 150,000, that's about 50,000 a year. That's a lot. How important do you think as a COO, a team versus an idea for the environment? What do you think is the most important part for a business to grow? I don't think it's the idea. I fundamentally believe we did not come up with this industry. It had been around for nearly 10 years before we joined, which a lot of people, when we joined, they said, 
oh, don't enter Kenya. There's so many players there. You'll never succeed. And we've become the fastest growing company that's ever been in this industry. So it wasn't because we had a novel idea. I fundamentally believe it's because we have built a great team that believes in what we're doing and is just able to execute better. We ha- were able to see kind of some of the flaws in other companies or where their opportunities. Had a team that said, okay, we're going to get after it right away. We're not going to let bureaucracy or red tape or anything get in our way. Feel confident in what we're doing. We make a lot of mistakes and it's great. We should be embracing that. I think any entrepreneurial company should, but we learn quickly from them. We pivot, we try things. And I think Scott gets a lot of credit for building the culture there. Andy is an inspiring leader who makes everyone believe in the mission. And it's an easy mission to get behind. I mean, we are improving the lives of people every day. So it, it makes it easy to want to work a little bit harder to achieve that. But fundamentally, believe it's the team we have that's allowed us to get here. And we have very low turnover. Everyone's so committed to what we're doing. It's the most amazing team I've ever worked with in my entire life. In talking about mistakes, I was listening to Guy Raz's interview with the seventh generation founders. And they had a policy before seventh generation went public that once a week, everybody had to meet and confess what mistake they made that week. And I thought that was such a powerful thing. It seems easy to, you know, to kind of say, oh, this is our company policy and we'll do it. But their reasoning was we are a small company and we don't want people to repeat mistakes. We want to learn from other people's mistakes. And we want them to take the initiative and not keep running up to us because they're afraid that they'll make a mistake and get into trouble. And I do think the part that acknowledging mistakes and then being able to learn from it probably is a culture that helped Solar Panda grow so rapidly. Yeah, absolutely. I So I joined Solar Panda in its first year, and I came from big CPG company. And when I was there, I always fairly entrepreneurial. And I actually tried to implement that where we would embrace our mistakes. And it was really hard to do because in a large company, there is just that hierarchy, the the politics aspect of it, where you don't want to make admit a mistake. And as much as the company will say, we're embracing failure, a lot of them don't really practice what they're preaching. And at Solar Panda, it's a breath of fresh air. There is no hierarchy. So we haven't had to implement something of, let's all embrace our failures. We just talk about them every day when something comes up and nobody's ever afraid to say, yep, that didn't work. Let's try it. So it's hard thing to put in place in a company that is set in its ways. For young startup companies, sometimes it can just be a natural way of doing things. When you don't really know what you're doing, there's no game plan for this. There's no roadmap to where you're going. It's just, that's how work is. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have great successes. And you just hope that there's more successes than failures. So which other countries do you operate besides Kenya? Do you operate only in Kenya or? We are only in Kenya right now. We wanted to go a little bit slow to make sure that we could get everything in place. So it's a fairly complicated model. I mean, we the importing of product, having a supply chain set up that we can deliver this product with the quantities we're doing on a daily basis. We process probably about 50,000 transactions a day from our customers. So we wanted to take the time to make sure that we had everything working perfectly before we would start expanding to other countries. So we're going to continue to expand around Kenya. And soon we are going to start expansion into other countries. Certainly, coronavirus has different impact in different countries in Africa. So we'll have to see how that shakes out and how all the countries kind of manage through, hopefully, as this tails off before we decide exactly where we're going to go to next. But we'd like to be in many more countries in the near future. How has COVID impacted your business? 
Um, it's there's been a number of challenges, um, but overall, it's it's amazing that Africa has weathered this uh, quite well. I mean, North America, Europe, the countries have been very hard hit, and everyone expected that Africa could just be decimated. But um, certainly, Kenya and, and many countries have weathered this well. One of the challenges, though, is I mean, some of the stuff that we take for granted. So, Andy, our, our CEO, and and I, I think we're talking in the summer and talking about how. I've got three young children, um, school age, and how much of a challenge it was to try to do homeschooling. And then he realized that in Kenya, the schools were closed as well, but they weren't going to have the resources to educate kids at home. They didn't have computers. They didn't have access to the internet. Uh, many parents didn't have the ability to, to teach or the time they had to, to work just to, to feed the families. So he had this idea that there was we're in 150,000 homes, we could do something about that. So we launched this initiative uh, in November. We got the content from the Khan Academy, which produces world-class educational content for free. And we downloaded a ton of content, over a thousand hours of content. We broke it up. We used some Kenyan teachers to help curate the content to to match the school uh, grades in Kenya. And so we made USB sticks that had you could get grade one grade two all the way up and then many of our customers have solar panda tvs or really any tv and for a very small deposit and the only reason being that we wanted to make sure people were invested um, and just have a nominal amount much less than what a just the usb on its own would cost they could come to our shop they could get a usb loaded with all of the content that their kids would need plug it into their tv and Children would then have access to a thousand hours of content that they could do at home. And it was very interactive on the TV, so they could be learning. And so that was, that's been one of the best things about uh, the past year that we've been able to do is, is launch this program and help the families, help customers. We don't care if there are customers. We just want to get this to as many uh, children as possible and get content out there to, to help some families as they've been trying to continue education because it's this is going to be, a, a unfortunately, a devastating impact of this COVID that's often overlooked. Um, in many of these places, uh, many children just will not go back to school. They have to go, they've had to go get jobs. And, um, and so that's... Uh, that's a, a big issue. And we're doing a, a very small, we're a drop in the bucket that we can do, but it was it was one thing that we could do to try to help. On that uplifting note, thank you so much, Brett, for coming on Mindful Businesses. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. If you're a creator of a mindful brand or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, send an email to info at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. Subscribe and listen to us on your favorite podcast listening app. Remember to rate and review us on Google or Apple Podcasts. To learn more about this and other episodes, subscribe to our Facebook or Instagram page. If you learned a thing or two in this episode, share it with one.